does our dependency on that thing outweigh our dependency on well how God has revealed himself even more clearly yes. in his word? Because the way that we know that Jesus is the image is through his word. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grew, and I'm a pastoral resident here at Mace Road Church, and I am joined this morning with Ryan Chase and the Logan Thune back on the mics, both elders. Good at- to have you back, Logan. <laughs> It's good to be back. <laughs> yes. Both elders at Emmaus, and it is a joy to have you here with us. Um, yeah. We don't just let anybody on here, just so you know. We guard the mic. We guard, <laughs> we guard the mic, and we are happy to have you on particularly, especially given the, um, the, the topic today, just how it can get a little tricky. So uh, this is one of our listener questions uh, episodes, um, and a listener reached out to us and was asking for some general advice on how should Christians think about something like the TV show the Chosen. Now, if, if you've not heard of this, what, what is The Chosen? It, the Chosen is a TV series um, written, directed by Christians um, about the life of Christ. And it's currently in its third season. Um, it's kind of taken off. Um, it, it's the first, like, quote unquote, binge worthy type of show, like a Netflix style series um, written by, written and directed by Dallas Jenkins, who's a uh, Northwestern grad where I went. Hoop, hoop. Hoop, hoop. Is that's, that what they say at Northwestern? That's my favorite thing they say. <laughs> is that the fight song? That's the fight song, yeah. But <laughs> what's interesting about The Chosen is that this is actually the first um, ever pr- uh, project of this scale that was financed completely through crowdfunding, hmm. um, through people just giving, at, which is incredible, um, w- which I think speaks a little bit to what we're going to talk about today because it means that people crave there's a market for it yeah there's a market for this there's there's this we would like to see who we want to see the the story of jesus now which makes sense considering all the well the netflix style stuff that comes out is people are sick of the having to delete their netflix accounts because of how disgusting and terrible everything or is um even disney plus isn't safe anymore and, and things like that so Finding finally finding something like oh now I can watch this and watch this with my kids yeah. that impulse is totally we, wholesome I, I, biblical it e- seems exactly but I, I think what this listener was asking um, was how do we as Christians um, think through images portrayals um, visualizations of Christ. Um, Especially because I think what we were saying before is like, I'm not sure anybody w- watches The Chosen purely for entertainment value. I think the reason why The Chosen is so meaningful to so many people is because it has a devotional effect. They're, they're moved to see Christ. It, it, I think similar to um, when The Passion of the Christ came out, like to see visually the torment of the crucifixion had its effect in people's lives. Um, but... How are we as Christians to 
what kind of category should we use as we're thinking through watching something, particularly as it relates to the second commandment, you shall have no graven images of me. Um, do, do those things relate? Is this that? Um, so I'll just, I'll throw that out there and you guys pick it up. Yeah, I think that's a perceptive question, even to be asking, how should we think about this? Uh, how, how should we feel about something like this? Is this okay or not? Because I, I do think uh, probably for a lot of people, it's just not even a question. Right on their radar. Um, so to even be asking the question is a good starting point. And I, I do think, uh, in all of our media consumption and discernment, it's easy to just kind of turn off your brain, um, as though that's possible. I mean, there's no way to actually turn off your brain and your soul. You're, you're being affected by what you consume, but to just consume it in an unthinking way, um, and not realize that it, it does something to us or that the media that we're consuming has, um, you know, behind it, there are writers and directors and actors who are all crafting something very intentionally, what they put in and the angles they shoot from. And all of those things are, um, you know, th- there's a message that's being communicated. So I, first of all, just think that's, that's a great question. It's appropriate to, to think along those lines. So here we are having the conversation. I think I, I would consider myself one of those people who, yeah, watched The Passion of the Christ when it came out, had no Same. no thoughts right. never, about never it. Never crossed my mind. Until, yeah, I maybe thought a little bit deeper about it later on in life. And now when something else like that comes up, it, those questions do be like, okay, yeah, I watched that, but someone directed this and put their own spin on it. There was a flavor that they wanted to convey. Um and I think it's important not to just take that in as though it's the authoritative take on <laughs> a depiction of Christ. And so th- I think that's where um, this conversation comes in and you step back a little bit and say, wait, it, like, what should my response be? And it's not to say that it's, um, you know, you should never, you know, use something to help somebody understand something. Ryan, you were talking about um, trying to explain the crucifixion to somebody. People don't have categories for some of these things, um, but it's, it's, I guess, finding what, when is the line crossed on, on something like yeah. that? This, this comes from uh, a summary of The Chosen. It says, Jenkins, the director, intended to differ from previous portrayals of Jesus by crafting a story arc that focused more deeply on the people who encountered Jesus and viewing him through their eyes. He wanted to present Jesus in a way that was more, quote, personal, intimate, and immediate, close quote. So that that speaks to what you guys are talking about. There's there's no such thing as media depiction that is um, unedited or any. You know, we we are always editing all the time. I mean, my point of view is different than your point of view. Even just right now, where we're sitting in this room, you're sitting in a different chair. You see different things from different angles. Um, and so something like a movie series everybody's making choices from the writers to the editors, to the actors, to the camera guys, everybody's quote unquote, an artist who's making artistic choices. And we just have to calculate that as we take in, especially when we're consuming uh, material that is affecting us devotionally because of its depiction of Christ or of, of God himself. I think a couple things stand out to me about um, Jenkins' own description of that. One, he's admitting um, this is veering pretty far from the text of Scripture into their own kind of imagining what what would things be like um, 
in the surrounding environment around Jesus, the, these characters, so making up backstory and trying to imagine those things that scripture doesn't necessarily go into. Um, so it's more in that historical fiction side of things, untethered from scripture. So right there, we know, all right, we've got other people's imaginations filling in those gaps, trying to portray these things. But secondly, the aim is uh, a portrayal of Jesus that, what were the words used to describe that? Uh, more personal intimate, immediate, immediate. Um, so, so it's still aiming at trying to depict Jesus to you in a way that makes you feel closer to Jesus. Um, and, and so I, I do think that Matt, you mentioned this already, but the, the place to kind of start in scripture, probably to, to think through this and maybe we can shift to, um, the second commandment that that's where we are commanded. You know, we're right now preaching through Exodus. We are at Mount Sinai. We're going to start Exodus twenty this Sunday. Um, so we're about to get into the 10 commandments. The second commandment is where God prohibits, um, the making or worshiping of any images. So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You worship God alone. The second commandment has to do with how we worship God. Uh, and and I think that probably a lot of Christians tend to think of that mainly as a prohibition of having little carved statues and, and images and, and idols like that. Um, so certainly don't wor- worship false gods. Don't worship Baal and don't, you know, have these other, um, idolatrous images, but it also relates to making depictions of God himself and, and worship, trying to worship the one true God through images, because I think this is true of humans all throughout history. We tend to think, well, wouldn't it help us feel more and love God more and worship God more if we could see something. In fact, that's exactly the sin that Israel falls into here at Mount Sinai when when Moses is up the mountain taking his time and the people are demanding from Aaron, make us an image. Um, that when when he throws all their gold jewelry into the fire and you know in his version of the the story, the account to Moses out popped this <laughs> this calf. Um you know, they, they fashion this calf, but the text says that they, they were having a, a feast to Yahweh. Mm. Yeah. So, so this calf was not like some foreign God. The sin was not, they were worshiping a foreign God as though like, well, how could they have forgotten Yahweh who just brought them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and appeared in thunder and smoke on the mountain right in front of them? No, they, they were trying to worship Yahweh and they were saying, you know, this God who, you know, visit us in Egypt, performed these 10 plagues and split the Red Sea, all these things it would kind of help us to see him. We've seen a lot of his works, but like if we could just see him, that would really help. Um, and so Aaron crafts this golden calf and he says, here he is and, and worship this. Um, and, and so that the second commandment has to do with that, trying to depict God to our, our physical eyes, sensibilities, our physical senses in such a way. So the invisible God, uh, who is, not like any created thing. And and there is an, an important distinction between the uncreated God and all created things, the invisible God and the visible world. And and humans, this is, you know, Logan, you and I were talking before we turned the mics on about how throughout all of human history, all other religions have had some kind of physical, visible portrayal of their God. And the Judeo-Christian stream is unique in the world with this, there's, there's nothing. And so other nations would walk into, you know, the the Jewish temple and think it's empty. There's no God here. Where's your God? What does he look like? Um, so I I think that's a helpful starting point to maybe, uh, unpack what, 
how does the second commandment relate to how we worship God? We know we're supposed to worship God alone. I think the heart behind something like the chosen is, is right. People love Jesus. They trust him. They want to know him more. How do we come to know Jesus more and trust in him more? Another picture in Exodus is this idea that God's covenant is, is like a marriage relationship between God and Israel. Um, one, one commentator talks about, uh, this idea of God speaking, um, this, what if a husband had a picture of his wife on his phone and loves it and fawns over it and gives all the attention to the image itself rather than to his actual wife? Mm. Um, and I think in some ways, um, that's that idea of wanting something tangible, wanting something physical that you could hold on to and that you could look at. But you're, you're misdirecting um, your gaze when God has spoken to us and he's revealed himself to us. Um, I think that that's one of the worries with something like The Chosen is that you're putting then your affection towards this depiction um, and mistaking that for the real God. Um, and not to say that, that you know, those people directing and making those decisions aren't trying to give you what they think to be an accurate depiction. Um, but yeah, it's then then you kind of set your affection on that that depiction rather than on on God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan, what you were saying earlier about historical fiction that that's a helpful category. Um, it reminds me of like um, back I don't know how many years ago when AMC was doing that show called Turn with uh, like George Washington spies. Um, which was a great show. I think you're the only person that watched that. <laughs> I'm not. It was amazing. And <laughs> it was, uh, you know, you have depictions of, of real historical characters like George Washington, like Alexander Hamilton, like all these, all these men. Um, and it's historical fiction. You know that. It, now, the, the spy ring really did happen, but obviously didn't happen necessarily in these ways. Um, but you get depictions with any sort of, dramatization you're you start to get to know that character as that guy's portraying it and then years later i read hamilton's biography and i read um washington's biography yeah biography um and you hear these men in their own words right because the biography is what struck me about written biographies is that the thing that they use the only thing they can use to um kind of categorize them and describe them is letters or written work that they did that's been preserved right. yep. so you hear the personality of George Washington through his letters to his wife and to his estate manager and to his, to congress and to hamilton all the that's how you get to know them in their own words in even that you're interpreting and so it just it struck me as i was reading the biography that how much better I knew George Washington without seeing him <laughs> through his biography than through watching something like Turn because I I as I know it's historical fiction and I recognize that's ah, not that's probably not who Washington is and so it just I think what that communicates to me is that we are uh word people um we've been created to know God through mm. word and ultimately through the word, the, the logos, the, the one who is the image of the invisible God, who we don't, we, we weren't, we were not born and in the right place on earth to see him with our own eyes. 
John was. He says, and we have seen him with his all of his glory. We have seen him, the one from heaven. We've seen the Logos. We've seen the word. He, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And then at the end of John, um, after his entire testimony or his entire witness, which, by the way, is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke in, in certain ways. Yeah. Um, it's like watching four different movies. <laughs> yeah. But there's differences. And there's editorial decisions that each of the gospel writers made. Um, at the end of John, John 20, verse, what is it, 30 and 31, where John says, and Jesus did a whole bunch more stuff than just this. In fact, if there's not enough paper in the world to describe all that we, he did. And yet, I have written these things for a purpose, just like uh, Jenkins has, has put this show up for a purpose. Well, John wrote his book for a purpose so that you might believe in him. Um, That's right. And that just, that helps me because that helps me think, oh, neither of the, none of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, eyewitness testimonies are meant to be a play by play. Uh, okay. He did this, this day. And then he woke up into that and did that and did that. He talked to this guy and he said this and no, all four of them. A lot of the things we might be curious about, right? you can read the gospels and realize there, there's a lot left out. And we tend to think, I'd like to know. I, I've said this before, the Emmaus road story, when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with those two yeah. disillusioned disciples, and it says that he opened to them the scriptures and explained to them all the things concerning himself, beginning with Moses and the prophets. And I think, I'd like to know a little more about the content of that conversation. <laughs> how, where did he go first and how yeah. did he describe it? We don't have that. Why do we only have one of the disciples' names? Right. Why did they just name that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Why did Cleopas, who was that yeah. dude? <laughs> so there are editorial decisions there, but God has spoken in a way that's sufficient for us to know him. It, it is amazing when you think about it. So yeah, this, this jumps into the New Testament and the incarnation where like you, you quoted Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Um, he is the word made flesh. And, and so God has revealed himself in history. And it's remarkable to think if we had been alive, then we could have seen him and touched him. And that's John's claim in first John one, when he says what we have seen with our eyes and touched with our hands and heard with our ears, that's what we're proclaiming to you. We are eyewitnesses of these things. And then to think, well, if, if Jesus had, if the incarnation had happened at a time in human history, when we had, uh, you know, cell phones, uh, smartphones in every pocket, like little HD, high, you know, high def uh, video cameras in all of our pockets. Think about how much documentation there would be of Jesus' life from every angle. You, you could, you know, just watch all of the the people who were there and live streaming it on their phones. So, in God's wisdom, it, in the, it's interesting that in the fullness of time, yeah, that what a word. God could have chosen if He thought it would have been more helpful for the evangelization of the world to have sent Jesus to take on human flesh. And, and have it captured on video, he, he could have done that. He could have had this technology invented earlier. He could have waited longer. But scripture says in Galatians, in the fullness of time. So, so God in his wisdom, and, and I think that you know, connects to like the point you're making, Romans 10, where it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's significant. We, we tend to think, and people say, seeing is believing. And, and actually what we see repeatedly in scripture is, Actually, that's not true. Uh, plenty of people saw him and did not believe, or Isaiah prophesies about the people of Israel. They see, but they're blind. They, they hear, but they are totally deaf. Um, it has no effect on them. So it, something more is necessary than just physical seeing. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So question, 
I guess the the, the pressing question. So, how, sh- should Christians watch the Chosen? Should, is that the the next question? I mean, we're we're thinking through it. And I think that might be a yeah. That's a that's a a good question. I I think there are appropriate cautions and considerations. Um, it, one of those is what is the effect of something like that on us? And, uh, Kevin Young in his book on the 10 commandments, uh, he has a, a chapter on the second commandment. And I just find this to be so helpful when he says, um, what God prohibits in the second commandment is infusing any object with spiritual efficacy as if man-made artifacts can bring us closer to God, represent God, or establish communion with God. And, and so that phrase, spiritual efficacy, d- are these depictions, whether a little golden calf that you make or an actor's portrayal, um, it, is the aim some kind of spiritual efficacy? This is helping me commune with God. This is helping me understand Jesus better, helping me love Jesus more. Then I would say that's a problem. Um, because God has given us his word and his word is sufficient for all people in all places and all times. And faith comes by hearing that word. Um, and, and I, I just think you, you were talking earlier about George Washington. That's a helpful example. I think one for me is I watched the Lord of the Rings movies before I read the books. Then when I read the books, I can't help but picture Peter Jackson's portrayal. And, and when I read certain characters, the, the image in my mind is the actor who was portraying that. And, and I think that's just how, how our brains work. And sometimes and so, those things might be incongruent, like because like less cultured version, uh, the Harry Potter series, right? I read the books as the movies were coming out, right? Cause I'm old. And the, I just was recognizing as Daniel Radcliffe who played Harry Potter was like, he's very different than the, the book. Um, and yeah, so then your mind is kind of tied into which who, who's right, right? That's that the question is, yep. well, cause, cause you, as you read the book, you import the image, like you said, over that thing. And you think, well, like for instance, in the, in the Lord of Frodo's talking this way, I don't think that sounds kind of odd. Well, whatever. That's just Jackson's or that's just Tolkien's view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go watch the movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we think in that depiction of Lord of the Rings characters, we think you're getting a more concentrated, more fully uh, formed image through the character in the movie. Um, But really you're a a step removed and the author's intention there is I've made this character this way. I've revealed him Mm. to my audience this way. Um, And really it's, it's, it's a more diluted (laughs) form than, than reading, reading it in, in God's word. Um, so, right. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, we, like Ryan was saying, those, those, those passages like John one, uh, Colossians one, but here in Hebrews one, it says long ago, many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, notice he's spoken to the fathers and to the prophets, right? He spoke through the words directly to these people or inspired them through his spirit. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's a, there is an image of God's word yeah. out there. <laughs> and we did not, we were not living in the appropriate time to see the exact radiance of God and the glory of God and the exact imprints of his nature. And he, the, the one who is upholding the universe by the power of his word and somehow became man. So 
you know, the Bible does help us think through uh, what we were saying earlier, anthropomorphic images of, of who God, like he uses his hands, knowing that God, the father doesn't, you know, he's, he is incorporeal. He, he is spiritual, but yet all of those uh, we would con- uh, include in the theological category of his condescension, his, he's stepping down because he's, he's helping our, he knows our frame, our weak frame and is helping us categorically have hooks to hang such a being. Well, the, the ultimate condescension of God is in Christ who took on our flesh and is reigning right now, had died and rose again in a body. Um, and that is the image of God. Um, and so I think the impulse to want to see that, given all the biblical data, given something like this, that in these last days he has spoken to us, to his son, who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the invisible image of, or the visible image of the invisible God. I think the impulse to say, let's go see that. <laughs> Is is so much better than hey, let's go watch something on Disney or watch something on Netflix. It's like I want to see that, which is a proper impulse. I think what we're just cautioning against is does our dependency on that thing outweigh our dependency on well how God has revealed Himself even more clearly yes. in His Word? And because the way that we know that Jesus is the image is through His Word. And I think Ryan bringing up that point of spiritual efficacy, you think of you're not going to go through your life without encountering pictures of Jesus, uh, portraits of Jesus, picture, you know, like paintings of Jesus and all of those. It, we're not saying that Shield your <laughs> there's eyes. like an ick factor, gouge your eyes out. You know, you can't ever see something like that. I think it's that idea of like, are we venerating it? Are we worshiping it? Are we, um, is our attention um, steered maybe in an unhelpful direction through that? Well, that's where the caution would lie, not in, oh, you encountered, <laughs> you're not going to go through life without uh, probably avoiding any such um, encounter. And right? I, maybe I would just add, because I don't think anybody would watch it and like, say they, they pray to that actor or to that image. So there might be a sense of like, well, I don't, I don't venerate that. Um, but even the, the reformers were really guarded against this because this is not a new issue. You know, there was an argument being made 500 years ago. Well, what about, you know, illiterate people, people who just, they, they need a lot of help. So if we could use more pictures, more icons, that, that would help them to picture these things. Um, and the reformers insisted God's word is sufficient. The preaching of Christ is sufficient. And certainly you got to explain it in language that the common people can understand. So, you know, if they don't speak Latin, don't, don't preach it in Latin, preach in, in their language. That's a big deal. But the preaching of Christ is enough. And it, Paul says in Galatians 3 to the church in Galatia, uh, far away from Jerusalem, uh, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified which is a fascinating statement because they were not in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. So what does he have in mind when he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He, he means we came to you and we preached the gospel. And Paul thinks that preaching Christ is a public portrayal of Christ crucified for the eyes of our heart to see and that God gives sight through that. And so, yeah, I think those are just, just cautions to have in mind. But um, yeah, I would agree, Logan, with your kind of the freedom of not being overly legalistic of yeah. like, okay, well now I got to make a long list of what can I, or can I not do or look at? I think it's always, and you know, what is, what is the spirit, the intention of 
this commandment. God is the invisible God, um, and he means for us to worship him in the ways that he has revealed to us in his word. And we do, as human beings, finite physical senses, we have this tendency to always kind of crave more and think we could add something in that would help us love God more. Right intention misdirected through our own man-made means. And that's what we have to watch out for. And I really do just think it's for, you know, the question, the, the, the heart of the question asked to us about how to think through something like the chosen speaks to, um, and I think how we're describing it is more of like a chance to, to know your heart and to, and to die and to just not like you were saying earlier, Ryan, not just consume, you know, just turn off my mind and consume whatever. Um, but rather to diagnose your soul and to learn to diagnose your soul as you walk through life of asking, um, what is, what does this have? How does this have an effect on me and my heart? How do I respond? I mean, I think of even like, I, I regularly, because my, I choose to follow the sports teams that always lose. I always have to be guarding my heart against, man, this is the worst. My, my team always loses and relate. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, I don't know that just, there's, is there, is that having an undue effect on my heart? My response to things like that, that is out of proportion to, um, to things. So I think it's just a chance to, um, to diagnose and to walk through and to examine ourselves, but we examine ourselves by God's revealed word through scripture that this, if we, we really do lean on the sufficiency of his word, um, and the sufficiency of scripture. And speaking of that, when the apostles chose what they wanted to write down in the gospels, what they didn't ever include was what Jesus looked like. It was never a description of his appearance. It was what he did and what he said. Mm. And so when they're making those authoritative, <laughs> um, spirit inspired decisions to include what we're going to now read in God's word, it wasn't important for them to say, and you need to know what he looked like and how... Color of his uh, eyes. The, <laughs> I mean, we, we get a, a sense of his character through yeah. through the gospels, but um, the, best the, look, we, the look in his eye or yeah. the, you know, the framing of his posture, like we don't have, that wasn't um, something yeah, the, revealed. The, the best we have yeah. is probably Isaiah's depiction of him in 53, which is just... He was yeah. a man with no majesty about him, no, and you no nothing, have, and yeah, wouldn't yeah. have passed through him. And except, how does Isaiah then go on to describe him physically? He suffered. Mm-hmm. Here's what here's what happened. <laughs> he he, and then the com- the communication of his work, his atonement, which then the gospels just yeah pick up. That's a great point. So I think that's I think that covers good. it. I think well, I, yeah, I think. I think those give, it gives me helpful categories as I think on how, how should we think on media like that? Um, and, and wanting to be discerning, wanting to be thoughtful, wanting to be Christ honoring in all that we do. Um, so I think that that works till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.